This is Dave, and I'm here with Ethan, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 210-inch. On this episode, we interview music expert, author, and Weird Al fan, Ray Paget. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch you don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Hello, Ethan. I hope you and all of our listeners had a great American Halloween. And did you get any good tricks or treats? I got a rock. Well, at least you didn't stay up all night again, like last year, sitting in a pumpkin patch waiting for the great pumpkin. Yeah, didn't. Anyway, hey, I know after last episode, we each told intern Frank to tell each other that there were a few items we wished we'd had covered as part of our Polka Party Definitive Top 5, but we were, of course, too distracted by intern Frank's excruciatingly severe body odor to remember. Yeah, there was just a few small points. All right, I'll start. So first of all, I know we mentioned that Polka Party was released on October 21st, but we neglected to mention that was just two days before Weird Al's 27th birthday. How cool. It's still crazy for me to think about how young Al was with some of these early albums. Now, we did talk about the cover art in depth on our definitive top five album cover art episodes with Kelly Phillips on episode 44 inch and episode 45 inch. But intern Frank should have definitely reminded us to talk about that cover art again. Yes, to remind everyone, the album cover art features Weird Al dressed in lederhosen, holding an accordion inside of this punk rock club atmosphere <laughs> with all these punk rockers all around him. <laughs> it's such a hilarious juxtaposition and definitely makes it one of the funniest cover arts, in my opinion. And what's really great is this sort of same joke of polka being this hardcore thing is played on in Weird the Al Yankovic story during the polka party scene. Yeah, when I first saw that scene, I, I thought it might have been an homage to the Polka Party cover art. All right, we also intended to touch on the album name, Polka Party. Yes. Now, in fact, Polka Party is a common name for other polka albums. And I wonder why that is. Ah, uh, one of life's greatest mysteries, if you ask me. Regardless, Weird Al was certainly paying homage to his four polkaers, But was that a good idea or not? Well, maybe not, because having Polka in the title very well could have contributed to the lackluster sales and charts for the album. But, I mean, if you weren't already a Weird Al fan in on the joke, would you want to take a chance on an album called Polka Party? All very good points, and intern Frank definitely should have reminded us to mention them last episode. All right, well, now let's get on to all of the hate mail that we received after our definitive top five. Oh, would you look at that? No hate mail came in at all! Finally, everyone must completely agree with our definitive top five rankings. Oh boy. It sounds like we've got a message on the 347 Spatula Hotline, the official hotline of Dave Nathan's 2008 Weird Al podcast. All right, intern Frank, let's hear it. You know, one of those days has the number one in its title. I'm not sure why. You felt the need to put it all the way at the bottom of your top five polka party countdown. Dave, Ethan, let's talk. 
Also, let's talk about this song's just six words long. Hey. Oh, it seems like uh, UH Jeff got cut off a little bit at the end there. Well, that's fine. I'm not sure what he was rambling on about anyway. Oh, sounds like we've got another call on the 347 spatula hotline. Let's hear this one, Frank. Dave and Ethan, Joe Jaffa here. Listening to your Polka Party top five definitive list reminded me of this personal living with a hernia story. Some of your listeners may know this from stories I've told either in person or on Huawei over the years, but when I was four or so, I had a hernia surgery. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Gwinnell, but don't hold me to that. Years later, I was listening to Polka Party with my friend Brett, and the song came on. He must have been in his second or third grade. He said something to the effect of how weird of a song topic it was, and I told him that, well, I used to live with a hernia myself. He looked at me completely stunned and asked, where did he sleep? Uh, I replied, um, here, and pointed to the area on my body where a hernia would be. What? Brett exclaimed. I explained to him what a hernia was as best an eight-year-old could. Oh. Turns out he thought hernia was a term for a homeless person. Years later, when we were in our 20s, I brought up the story, and he said it was, it was because of the homeless guy on the album cover. I questioned this again, and he got his al- albums crossed, and thought Mr. Frump, on the cover of the self-titled album, was a homeless person living in Al's room. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Wow, that is such a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Joe. All right, Dave, I think it's time for What's Happening in Weird Al-Related News! The nominations for the 2024 Grammys will be announced on Friday, November 10th. This year, the nominations will be revealed via a live stream event featuring past Grammy Award winners, including a five-time Grammy Award winner named Weird Al Yankovic. The Grammy nomination event will be streaming live starting at 7.45 a.m. Hollywood Star Time. That's 10.45 a.m. Burrito Burrito Time on Grammy.com and YouTube. And don't forget to catch the Grammys, which are scheduled to air live on Sunday, February 4th, 2024, from Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles. You know, assuming there's a reason or three to watch. Last week, Weird Al posted a photo on his Instagram posing with Will Forte, Ted Danson, Mary Van Steenbergen, Kristen Shaw, and Jason Sudeikis at an event, but he did not provide much more context than that. As it turns out, that photo was taken on the blue carpet for the Boys and Girls Club of Metro Los Angeles' 2023 Stronger Together Gala. Not only did the gala celebrate the Boys and Girls Club and raise money for their efforts, it has come to our attention that Weird Al himself was a surprise guest. Weird Al joined Will Forte and Jason Sudeikis on accordion to sing what sounds like a parody to the tune of We Are the World. And later in the song, Kristen Schaal even joined them on stage. We're hoping to track down a full recording as well as some context for this song, so if you can help, please reach out. Saturday, November 4th marks one whole year since the Roku Channel's official on-screen debut of Ethan and Me in We're the Al Yankovic Story. To celebrate this momentous occasion, the Roku channel is doing a special contest on their X and Instagram profiles where you'll have a chance to win a vinyl edition of the film's soundtrack. And not too long after the anniversary, a week from Friday on November 10th, 
Ethan and my appearance in We're the Yankovic Story will be available for purchase in all its commercial-free glory in North America on iTunes and wherever else you buy digital movies. And after that, then we only have to wait another month and two days for December 12th, which is the official North American release of Dave and My Appearances in Weird the Al Yankovic Story on DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray. How pretty stinking majestic. From all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al Podcast, congratulations to us and everyone else involved with Weird the Al Yankovic Story. We have some sad news to share. Well-loved actor Matthew Perry passed away last Saturday at the age of 54. Matthew is probably best remembered for portraying Chandler Bing in the sitcom Friends, with arguably his greatest performance coming in the final episode of Season 9, where he said that Monica looked like Weird Al. Weird Al parodied I'll Be There For You, the theme song for Friends, with the concert-only theme from Home Improvement, also known as I'll Repair For You on the Bad Hair Tour. From all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al Podcast, Gil and Chill in Peace, Matthew Perry. And in other sad news, recently, Suzanne Summers passed away at age 76. Suzanne famously starred in the sitcom Three's Company, which is mentioned in two Weird Al songs, The Brady Bunch and Syndicated Incorporated. And Suzanne also appeared in Michael Jackson's music video for Liberian Girl, which also features a cameo from Weird Al. From all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Podcast, Gil and Chill in Peace, Suzanne Summers. In much lighter news, Dave, I had the pleasure of spending some time with past guest and friend of the podcast, Zach Sherwin, last week. Oh, cool. Is this episode brought to you in part by the restaurant that made the food that you two enjoyed together? You mean vegan burrito restaurant Burrito Burrito, home of the two-pound double wrapped in a quesadilla burrito burrito and wizard burger in Albany, New York? Yes, I do. Did you go on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito your Burrito Burrito? I sure did, but I decided to pass on Wizard Burger's mouthwatering loaded, dare I say, beefy vegan burgers in lieu of the Burrito 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 Burrito. Well, you guys ate in Albany. I can only guess where the burritos went from there. In and right back out. That's right, because they fed a hungry Zach and me with out-of-this-world, plant-based, real food... Always vegan style. Did you visit burritosquared.com and wizardburger.com to order ahead? Yes, I did. It was so convenient to have my order already made before I got there by the lovely co-owner, Chris. All right, well, now that you reported on your dinner from the other night, Ethan, would you care to report on what's happening in Ethan Ullman-related news? Well, of course, Dave. Now, this is very exciting. I'm excited to announce that I'm going to be moderating a Q&A with the legendary one and only William Shatner coming up very soon. How pretty stinking majestic. I cannot believe that you are going to moderate a Q&A with someone mentioned in a Weird Al song. Is he known for anything else besides that? Uh, yeah, a few things. Or anyway, please tell me you're doing this at a venue that is within walking distance from my house. Uh, sorry, Dave. The event is going to be in Florida. Aw, man! I don't live in the right area of the country to attend interviews like this. Well, sorry about that, Dave. But if you happen to find yourself in the state of Florida, I'm scheduled to moderate the event in Jacksonville, Florida on Sunday, November 12th at Florida Theater. 
Oh, hold on a sec here. Florida Theater, where Weird Al has performed seven times? Yes, that's right, Dave. Well, why didn't you say that in the first place? How can I get tickets? You can get tickets and more information about all of William Shatner's live shows by heading over to WilliamShatnerLive.com. Oh, man. I'm afraid I'm going to have to miss it. I'm supposed to intern sit Frank that night. Ugh. Well, Dave, we're sure going to miss you there, but I am very excited for us to get to our interview this week, so why don't you take it away? Ethan and I are super thrilled to welcome to the podcast the founder of the blog Cover Me, the largest blog devoted to cover songs. His music writings have appeared in Spin, MTV, Vice, Consequences of Sound, and so much more. He is an ultimate expert on cover songs and a huge Weird Al fan. Welcome to the podcast, Ray Paget. How are you doing, Ray? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a long time that we've been talking about having you on the show. and We even met you last year on the tour. That's right. Uh, uh, Burlington, Vermont at, at the Flynn, just down the street from me. And then Ethan, uh, Dave, I don't think you were at this one, but Ethan, we ended up seated like a row or two apart at that Webster, Massachusetts show. At oh, the, uh, that's was it? right. Indian, Indian Ranch, I think it was. Oh, that's right. I was just talking to someone about that show the other day. It was... It was a very good show, but it was also weird because Al walked out on stage and said, "Hello, Providence, Rhode Island." <laughs> I know. I was. I couldn't tell if that was a bit at first, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's like the most memorable thing from from that show for me. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what songs he did, but. <laughs> I remember Emo, Emo Phillips had a couple good jokes about the fact that they were still calling it Indian Ranch, which pretty much everyone else, especially in Mass, a liberal place like Massachusetts, would have dumped that name years ago. You'd but think, yeah. Hanging on, yeah. Emo had some fun with that. Well, so Ray, as Dave mentioned in the intro, you are an expert when it comes to music and you, you do a lot of music writing. Before we get into some of that, I would love to hear about your experiences with Weird Al. When did you get into Weird Al? Sure. So, you know, the cliche of everyone's favorite Weird Al album is the one they heard at 13 is probably true for me. And I would have been about 13. It was Running With Scissors. That was that was my era. That's when I was in middle school. Um, and a friend of mine brought it over and played it. And I just remember it sort of blowing my mind. You know, this was also an era when I was, you know, listening to like Top 40 radio. So I'm sure I knew all the songs he was parodying. Um, and as soon as I earned enough allowance money, I went out and bought that one, and then subsequently the rest. Yeah. Yeah, similar, I think, to all of us. Once once we heard the first one, we then spent the rest of our money on more Weird Al stuff, and for Dave and I, the rest of our lives have been spent buying Weird Al stuff, so <laughs> can definitely relate. Yeah, I mean, it was funny, I'm sure like you guys and like a lot of people, you know, going Obviously, as the new albums come out, you keep out, up with them. But of course, at that point, running with scissors, there's like a 15-year back catalog. So, you know, you're going farther and farther back. And as the farther you go, the fewer parodies you recognize. You know, but I, <laughs> if they're good enough, it doesn't matter. That at, at a certain point, I probably, you know, I'm like 15. I don't know any of the songs from that he's parodying on, you know, some of the 80s albums probably. But, you know, you look them up later. <laughs> And, and that's like crazy about the Weird Al thing is I've noticed that too. You know, I, I started a bit earlier than you and Ethan did with my Weird Al fandom, but even I still had to go back a few albums. And yes, you know, when you go back the few albums, those songs, those parodies, you might not be familiar with the originals, but the songs, they hold up themselves as their own songs, which is cre incredible. So you don't even need to know that they're parodies, you know, uh, on those albums as well. Yeah, I mean, in many cases, it was years before I 
for again some of the sort of lesser known songs it would be years before i even knew what was a parody and what was original you know cuz some right. of the songs you know plenty of the songs he parodies were hits you know that year but then time did not treat them well and they were immediately <laughs> forgotten i mean we can all name plenty of those songs that you well, well it seemed like a good idea at the time but uh you know often his his uh his versions are better than the originals absolutely always i think <laughs> Now, speaking of, you know, versus the originals, Ray, you've sort of carved out this niche in your writing talking about cover songs. So you have the website CoverMeSongs.com. You wrote the book Cover Me, the stories behind the greatest cover songs of all time. Where did your fascination with cover songs come to be? It sort of came when I was in college. I was a big, and still am, uh, Bob Dylan fan. And at the time, he was, you know, Weird Al was like my first guy and Bob Dylan was my second guy. Um, and Bob Dylan, when I was in college, had this radio show called Theme Time Radio Hour, where he would, basically, it was like Bob Dylan the DJ, he'd spin songs he liked, and he did this one very early on where he did a version of the Gershwin song Summertime, you know, Summertime and the Living is Easy, that one, um, which, I, which I knew the song, but it was, uh, all the versions I knew were like slow and languid, and the version Bob played was this version by a guy named Billy Stewart, a, a soul singer in the 60s, who unfortunately passed fairly earlier, he might have been a big star, but it was like fast and up-tempo and scatting and drum solos. And I remember listening to that and sort of thinking, I didn't know you could do this to a song. Like take a, the same lyric, the words are the same, but change everything about the music. And so, I mean, that was going on 20 years ago now and I'm sort of still in it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so you do address this in your book, but in your book, Cover Me, there is an entire chapter about Weird Al and of course, Weird Al is not known for covers. He's known for parodies. Do you want to enlighten our audience why he qualified for an entire really great chapter in the book? Sure. So, yes, I, I, I sort of joke in the, well, not even joke, I say in the intro, which I think is true, that I consider the parody sort of like the cousin to the cover song in the sense of what I was just saying about the cover song being you keep the lyrics and you change the music. The parody is the exact opposite. You keep the music but the lyrics are totally different, right? And so that describes much of Weird Al's music. There's one exception, though, where he does keep all the original lyrics and change all the music, and that is in the polka medleys. So that was sort of the conceit of how I justified, you know, the theme of this book was like 20 mostly very famous cover songs, the stories behind them, you know, Aretha Franklin doing Respect or Adele doing Make You Feel My Love. So the, the Weird Al version's a little bit of an outlier, a little bit of sort of a passion project for me shoehorning that in but that that was how i justified it It was like the polkas are covers he's keeping the original lyrics i think it counts absolutely i and i I love that you wrote about it and you you wrote about it so well and it seems like reading it that maybe you talked to weird al for this book is that true yeah yeah i talked to him uh fairly extensively for it um and i mean it was sort of a personal thrill obviously as someone who's been a fan for years but my sense is that he I mean, he's such a nice guy, even if he hated it, I'm sure he would have been polite. But he <laughs> joked at one point that, like, no one has ever, he's never done, he's done a million interviews. No one's ever only asked him about the polka medleys, right? We're on the phone for like an hour. I don't ask him about Smells Like Teen Spirit or White and Nerdy or any parody at all. We're only talking polka medleys. So it was kind of fun being able to talk to him exclusively about something that 
he doesn't get asked about very much. Yeah, that's really cool. It's a really well-written chapter in this book. The song that you introduce is Polka's on 45 off of the In 3D album. And uh, and then, of course, you kind of go into some of the other polkas later on. But it was really interesting, and I don't want to give it away too much because I want people to, to read this on their own. But you really go into pretty deep with Weird Al on the polka medleys, including, you know, like, you know, the how he handles the royalties and gets the permissions and... Uh, and even like a lot of behind the scenes of how he creates the certain sound effects and things in there. So it's a really great, great chapter interview with Weird Al about uh, his polka medleys. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, that was sort of what was so fun about it is really getting granular. Um, and like you mentioned, the sort of how the permissions and stuff works. I mean, that's it's it's I mean, this whole thing is nerdy, but that's like really nerdy. But I just found it fascinating. And again, it's sort of, I was trying to like with this book, the idea was to like tell the story of the cover song through these individual songs. So like whenever I could, I tried to tie it to some broader theme. And that I found a really interesting one because I could sort of explain. And, you know, some people don't know this. A cover song, you don't need anyone's permission. You, Ethan and Dave, could go out and cover a Beatles song tomorrow and you don't need Paul McCartney to say, yes, it's okay for you to do this, right? It's just you, you pay a set fee and it's very straightforward. Hmm. But where the polka medleys become very interesting in terms of that, and this is something Al sort of walked me through, was that that flat fee is the same whether you cover the entire Beatles song, as most people would, or whether you cover one line of that Beatles song. <laughs> Meaning that in a polka medley, if he's doing 12 songs, he can do it. He doesn't need anyone's permission, but he would have to pay 12 times... The normal fee. He'd have to pay 12 full fees, which as he, he and his, his manager explained to me would like, I mean, that's like the full budget of the album. So there's all right. these sort of long and honestly, what sound fairly painful negotiations with the various publishers, literally down to the fact that it would be, he, Al, I think to use the example of like, he's like, all right, I would do the math and the talking head song, burning down the house takes up exactly 7% of this polka medley. And so we need to negotiate that we're going to pay you 7% of the usual rate. But then the the Clash song only takes up 2%. So that publisher, we have to get them to agree to only take 2%. So, I mean, it's really down to that level of granular detail or else they blow the whole budget on the polka medley and there's no other songs on the album. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, Dave and I love the granular when it comes to Weird Al or else we wouldn't have this podcast. But you do a really great job exploring definitely some some parts of the polka medleys that I've never seen explored with Al before. So it's a really great chapter. I really do like your writing style. Well, it's very kind of you. Thanks. So I'm curious, Ray, uh, what were some surprises you learned talking to Weird Al about his polkas? Oh, there were, I mean, a bunch. Um, one that sort of jumped out at me is just, and I mean, in general, I already knew Weird Al is very fastidious. Um, I talked to I talked to Bermuda for that chapter as well, and I think the word he used was meticulous. He, he, he said something where he's like, I don't want to say anal, so I'll just say he's meticulous. <laughs> but, but they were sort of going into yes. the detail of like, you know, the polka, obviously it's built around the band, you know, the accordion first and foremost, banjo, drums, etc. But of course, there's a bunch of sound effects included. And they were talking about how every single time, you know, they want a, a duck whistle or something, they like record it in the studio. They'll do like 10 or 15 takes until they get the perfect duck whistle sound effect. And Bermuda actually told me he was sort of like, Every time I say to Al, hey, you know, we're using the same sound effects as last time. I can just like pull them up on the computer and like hit the button and insert them. 
And I was like, no, we need to record them live again. <laughs> and so they'll, you know, drag out the duck whistle sound effect or whatever makes the gunshot noise or, you know, all these, all these things and just do it live <laughs> in the studio, which as with so much of Weird Al's music, I just find it fascinating how seriously he takes silly music and the polkas are no exception. Yeah, that was something that I, I, I mean, I knew that that he liked to recreate sounds live. And, I, you know, of course, the the weasel stopping day, we've gotten a video of that. And I, I know just in talking to people on the podcast, we've heard like when he brought his dentist in to actually drill a human tooth for cavity search. But the fact that he really doesn't go into the sound effects and he makes them all himself. I don't know that I really knew or expected that. And that's not, it's almost not surprising, though, because it Al really does put in 127% and everything that he does. So it, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and the polkas, especially it's just fascinating because by his own admission, and I don't mean this as a criticism, they're somewhat formulaic, right? The polka on one album is by definition going to sound kind of like the polka on the next album, just with different songs included. So the sounds he's using from the effects to the instruments to the, you know, the tuba who that seems to come in every time, like he's using sort of the exact same instruments, the exact same, colors every right. single time yet he's not just going to be like well we recorded it last time i'll just put in some new words over this little bit it's all right. from scratch every time yeah i love that you know especially when we talk to people who like work on his music videos or, or things where it seems like the budgets are always really tight and you know things are are kind of duct tape and q-tipped together in a sense but it, it sounds like when it comes to the music al doesn't really spare any expense yeah that's right he just makes his manager spend years of his life negotiating <laughs> with publishers to get seven percent of the usual rates another great thing about this chapter is that you go into the entire history of weird al's polka medleys starting from the very first ones that he did in the coffee houses with joel miller all the way up through uh, the last one on the last album. So it's it's a really great for historians like Ethan and myself who who love the history of Weird Al to be able to read something like this and learn the entire history of the polka medley. So this is really something that I think people want to pick up for their Weird Al collection. Of, of course, the book is called Cover Me, the stories behind the greatest cover songs of all time. And the chapter on Weird Al, I give it five stars. It's amazing. Five out of how many stars, Dave? <laughs> i don't know if i want to hear the answer to that <laughs> i just want to say that when it comes to books about weird al and featuring weird al i would put this right up on the shelf next to bermuda's books and lily hirsch's book it's really up there as one of the the things that you need in your collection well thank you um i mean sort of one of the biggest honors of the whole thing was when it, it came out Maybe I'm trying. I don't remember the exact timeline, but it came out a few months before he kicked off the first Vanity tour, and I was lucky enough to be able to go to the opening show, um, the one in Poughkeepsie, and so I emailed Jay, and he like set up a thing for me to meet Al because we had just talked on the on the phone. Right. He didn't know what I looked like. We never actually met, but I was able to present him with a book, and I didn't know if he'd even remember having talked to me. But I gave him the book. He's like, "Oh, you're the guy. I read this chapter, and like, I don't exactly remember how he phrased it." But he was basically like, I mean, he said he liked it, but also just to like, he's like, you really got it right. Something oh, like wow. that. And I felt like, and again, and again, he's Aww. like, I know he's meticulous. He, he said something like, you know, some people, you know, a lot of the articles I read about me, I don't know, the facts are wrong or I feel like they didn't quite get it right. It feels like you really got it right. And I, I, I took that, you know, sort of as a huge honor coming from him because he, he, he does clearly read stuff about him. He does pay close attention to this stuff. And he's, as Bermuda said, meticulous. So the fact that he didn't feel like I... <laughs> 
either yeah. got facts wrong or just missed the mark somehow uh, was really meaningful to me. Yeah, and I, I would say that, you know, I've certainly read news articles and even books where they, they'd get even just small facts wrong and it, it, it they kind of stick out to me like a big, you know, flashing light. But I, I didn't notice anything out of place uh, reading yours. It was well written and, and 100% accurate as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, that's what they say about, I think, books or just any sort of nonfiction in general, that like, even a small fact wrong, it's like it, it makes the reader wonder if they're getting these small details wrong that I'm noticing. Like, right. How do I How can I trust them to get the big things right? right? You know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm somewhat, uh, I won't say anal either, I'll say meticulous to <laughs> Bermuda, but, but I, you know, I'm... I'm <laughs> I try to be really careful about that because, you know, you say 77 in, instead of 76 for something, 1976. Does it really matter? No. But someone who knows enough to catch it is going to wonder, right. hmm, what else, what am I missing that's also wrong here? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's so many things out there that, you know, it just, I get turned off from the whole thing when I, I, I read it or, or I see something and it's just, I really appreciate you did that. Now, I'm really curious for you to tell us about your book, this is not about Weird Al at all. It's called I'm Your Fan, The Songs of Leonard Cohen. How does this tie into Weird Al? I was about to say, it's not about Weird Al at all, except for, speaking of percentages, maybe 0.25% of it is about Weird Al. I just, I just looked it up because I couldn't quite remember. There's literally two paragraphs of this book is about Weird Al. Uh, so, so everyone rush out to buy it for your Weird Al shelf for those two paragraphs. Um, but so this was a book in the 33 and a third series, which has these sort of they're kind of like pocketbooks about individual albums and the conceit of mine was it's about an one album in specific which is the one you just mentioned i'm your fan the songs of leonard cohen which is a tribute album to leonard cohen it includes covers by rem and the pixies and people like that so you know covers kind of my thing but then also using it as a lens to talk about the phenomenon and the history of the tribute album generally and so that's where the weird al part in part comes in. He did not, sadly, cover any Leonard Cohen songs for that specific album, but when I was looking at the history of the tribute album, you know, I was sort of trying to, you know, chart a chronology. They started in the 80s, and then they were kind of big business in the 90s with CDs, but then I was trying to figure out, you know, obviously now anyone can curate a tribute album, and I was trying to trace the history of, like, what were some of the first tribute albums to be put together, not by record labels, not by music business muckety-mucks, but by fans. And the first one I found evidence of was uh, from Joe Krause, who did a tribute album in the 90s called Prosthetic Lips, that I'm sure some people know or remember. came out in 96, and it was put together just by fans on a Usenet message board. Yeah. And it's just a whole whole bunch of Weird Al songs. And so, you know, like I say, I I like shoehorning Weird Al into my books when I can, (laughs) but I have to figure out a way to justify it. But as far as I could figure out, that was the first sort of internet fan-driven tribute album. Um, so I emailed Joe. I know you guys, I mean, you guys have talked to him more extensively than I have, but we exchanged some emails. You know, I had no idea what the backstory was, much less that he was 14 years old when he put this thing together, which totally <laughs> blew my mind. Incredible. Um, yeah. He's like he's like producing a tribute album at, at 14 out of, you know, his parents' basement or whatever. Um, so yeah, so that's the, uh, that, that's, that's about, that's basically the two Weird Al-related paragraphs in the book. <laughs> It, that's enough for us. I mean, we we both have a copy of the book on our shelves. So, <laughs> absolutely. Now, I'm curious if there's any Weird Al in your latest book. It's called "Pledging My Time: Conversation with Bob Dylan Band Members." Did you work Bob into this at all? 
I wish I had, just so I could have sold copies to you two. <laughs> I, I, I think I might, I think I might have broken my streak. And in my defense, this book is mostly Q and A interviews, so okay. it's mostly other people's words rather than my words. I, I did the interviews and the reporting, but I, I let them talk. And sadly, I don't think anyone, anyone um, brought up Weird Al. I mean, it's interesting. I'm just thinking out loud here, but in a way, comparing Al to Bob Dylan. So the conceit of this book, briefly, is just interviewing a bunch of musicians who played with Bob Dylan, from people in the 60s to people recently. And I mean, the number of people who played with Bob Dylan is like in the hundreds, if not low thousands, right? And it's just striking how different that is than Weird Al. Like, right. the number of core, core Weird Al band members is, what, four, right? And I know there's a few other people. Yep. Someone does horns and Lisa Popiel does bat. Like, there's other people occasionally. Right. But basically, he's had the same band his entire career, which is so different than Bob Dylan and would unfortunately make a, a version of this book about Weird Al very difficult because there's a, not very many people to interview. <laughs> it would be one long chapter with Jim, one long chapter with Ruben, Steve, Bermudin, and that's the end of the book. You know, you're kind of out of book at that point. We've pretty much talked to all of them at this point. I think there's a handful of people who maybe like did a hand fart on one of his songs that we haven't talked to. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I know, exactly. It's a, it's a short list. With, with Dylan, there's way, way, way more people to go after. And so what does it take to be a Bob Dylan member? Is it just performing on one show or did it actually boil down to his different recording sessions? It's, it's everything. I have some fun stories from people who like sat in one time without any rehearsal, never even spoke to the guy. And he asked him to like play the entire show on sax and then he left and they never spoke to him again. Two people who are band members for years and years have an, and have all these amazing backstage stories. I mean, another reason just comparing Dylan to Al in that case, now that I'm thinking about it, is... Another reason this works so well for Dylan, and in some ways might not might not work so well for Weird Al, is that Bob Dylan is an extremely strange man, enigmatic, mysterious. Everyone has these crazy stories of weird stuff he said or weird things he did. Whereas I'm using the word weird, Weird Al, in his like behind the scenes life, by all indications, is a nice guy, a normal guy. You know, not that <laughs> wacky or bizarre or enigmatic or mysterious or, or frankly weird, right? Bob Dylan, in some ways, behind the scenes, is probably weirder than Weird Alice, which is what makes a book like this so interesting. It's so true. <laughs> well, as the uh, ultimate expert on all things Bob Dylan, we need to know your thoughts on the song Bob, which, of course, is the Bob Dylan pastiche. I think it's genius. And, you know, it's funny. I was re-watching the video, and I'd sort of forgotten. I remembered, of course, so the video, I'm sure everyone's seen it, and you prob people probably know, but it's a direct parody of a, video, of a famous video that Bob Dylan himself did for the song Subterranean Homesick Blues in 1965, which some right. call the original, the first ever music video. This is, of course, 20 years before MTV, but he's holding the cards, and he's got the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And like with everything with Weird Al, I, I remembered the parody of the video generally, but I've forgotten the details. And like Weird Al, in, in the original Bob Dylan video, just off to the side, in the background, you can barely see them, are Allen Ginsberg, the poet, and Bobby Newarth, a musician, both of whom were like, you know, basically Bob Dylan's friends. And they just talk quietly off to the side, and then they walk away, and that's it. Weird Al honestly could have gotten away with just forgetting that part. No, no one's really watching them. But no, he has. I think it's. I think it's Bermuda and Jay. Yeah. playing those roles. <laughs> yep. Off to, again, off to the side in the background, basically not doing anything. And I'm, and then and then I was watching it again. And I noticed there's all these trash bags, and I was like, is, like did he just pick a crappy alley, or does the Dylan video have all these trash bags? So I pulled up the Dylan video. Of course, there's a ton of trash bags. It's like the attention to detail is just 
phenomenal. And then, of course, forget the fact that, like, the entire thing is palindromes. Um, yeah, it kind of blew me away. And it came out, if I, if I recall, like, 03, I think, which was yep. probably right around or maybe even before the time I was getting into Dylan. So I doubt I knew Bob literally before a single Bob Dylan song, but I probably knew Weird Al's version of Bob Dylan before I knew much about the man himself. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to know how Bob Dylan, <laughs> how Bob Dylan or any of his band, thousands of band members, how they feel about the song. Do you have any indication of that? Anything that didn't make it into your book? I, I wish I did. Um, now you've got me curious too. Um, I mean, it'd be funny because... <laughs> I wish I'd talked to you guys a few months ago. I've been doing all these interviews promoting the book, and one question people have asked me a lot is like, if you ever interviewed Bob Dylan, who doesn't do interviews and sure as heck isn't going to talk to me, but if you ever interviewed Bob Dylan, what would you ask him? And I kind of ham and haw. It's a hard question to answer. But now I like the idea of just asking him, <laughs> what did you think of the Weird Al song, Bob? <laughs> and then that's it. All right, thank you. Have a good one. <laughs> Maybe one day. Or, or instead of asking what does he think, ask him, does he think that Weird Al's video for, for Bob, is it a music video or just a, a sketch? <laughs> <laughs> Make it an even more bizarre question. Too bad that wasn't a bigger hit or they could have worked that plot line into the movie kind of like they did with Michael Jackson. That Bob Dylan ripped off the Weird Al video concept. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. I love it. <laughs> So, Ray, looking back at Al's catalog, there are some songs outside of the polka medleys that I would say qualify as being covers. And, of course, I'm not talking about the the live covers, but actual legitimate covers like George of the Jungle or Beverly Hillbillies. Are there any that really jump out to you as your favorite? Or are there ones that you have written about or, or want to write about on CoverMeSongs.com? Yeah, I mean, I'd say probably... The one that'd be my favorite is the one you just listed, Beverly Hillbillies. And honestly, I think that one's more successful because, of course, the music is is money for nothing. It's different music. Yeah. As opposed to something like George of the Jungle, where you're kind of like, I don't, I don't really know why I'm why he bothered putting this on an album. Like, it's just George of the Jungle. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I mean, that's, it, it, sort of, it sort of gets into like, people ask me what makes a good cover, you know? And my answer to that is always to sort of flip it. And I'm like, anything can be a good cover, but what makes a bad cover, the answer is, it sounds exactly like the original, right? Right. And I'm, t I'm, I'm talking about what you put yeah. on albums. It's different, again, the live covers he did, they mostly perform them like the original, that's fun, that's fine. But like, if you're going to go to the effort of like releasing it properly, why bother doing it if it sounds just like the original? So, so yeah, something like Beverly Hillbillies, well, where the lyrics may be the same, but he's, the music is totally different. I mean, that's sort of what I like about, what I like about a cover. Mm. Yeah, that one's sort of the rare, like, it's a cover and a parody at the same time, which is, I don't know if any of his other songs really fit that bill. No, I mean, that's, it's the polka medleys. That's sort of the, you know, the, I know it's not parody exactly in the same way, but like in terms of the changing the music and keeping the lyrics, which is what every cover does. It's, it's fairly unusual in, in Al's discography. Mm. Now, being that you have a, a, probably a much better understanding of Bob Dylan's catalog than Dave and I. And I, I mean, no, no offense to you, Dave. I, I couldn't name a, a single Bob Dylan song. <laughs> so I'm, I'm averaging ours together. But Ray, is there any Bob Dylan song that you think would be ripe for a Weird Al parody? Oh, that's a great question. You'd want it to be something, 
so Bob Dylan is funny, right? But you'd want to pick like the least funny Bob Dylan song. Because it, it, it reminded me, you know, when I, was, when I was talking to Al about the parodies, I was rereading this before we talked, and he was saying something which I thought made a lot of sense, which was that the songs that, excuse me, not the parodies, the polka medleys, the song that worked best for the polka medleys often are the songs that are very serious, that are very right. self-serious. You know, he, he, he mentioned Nine Inch Nails, like someone who's like really angsty <laughs> and takes themselves super seriously. Yes. And then you like give it like goofy polka music and tuba fart sounds and, you know. So, so I think for a Bob Dylan parody, you kind of want the same thing. You'd want something like Desolation Row or Visions of Johanna, both of which are these like totemic Mount Rushmore songs with amazing poetry and they're slow and they're somber. And like, I feel like that's sort of the one you'd want Weird Al to take the piss out of as, to one of the, as, to, as opposed to a song where Bob Dylan himself is joking, which he does do sometimes. Right, right. <laughs> and so how did you get into Bob Dylan? Was it a friend playing a, an album for you or how did you discover his music? It was through, my dad had a couple records that I listened to this would be in high school again, sort of a few years after I got into Al. Um, and I, I liked them enough that somehow I saw that Bob Dylan was coming to Chicago where I grew up, um, my, I think junior year of high school. And I started to talk to my dad into buying tickets. My dad wasn't like a huge fan, but you know, he grew up in the sixties. You remember Bob Dylan. Um, and just, you know, Bob Dylan is, I keep coming up with contrast with Weird Al and he's another one. Weird Al's a crowd pleaser, right? He wants everyone to have the best time Everyone to go, I'm smiling. Bob Dylan's the exact opposite. He frankly couldn't give a crap whether the audience likes what he does. He's going to do what he does, right? And so I went to this show, and it didn't feature a single greatest hit. It didn't feature any songs I recognized. The songs he did play that I later learned, he had rearranged, so they sounded nothing like the album versions. Um, and, like, I'm not even sure I liked it, but it was, like, interesting enough because it was so different than every other show I'd seen, including I think I'd seen Al by then. I think I saw him the previous summer for the first time. Um, and so the fact this, this artist being so sort of uncompromising and just following his own vision to hell with what anyone else, including the people who paid to see him thinks, I mean, a lot of people don't like Bob Dylan concerts for that reason, but those of us who get into it, like find that just so fascinating. And so that's, that concert <laughs> right. really is what turned me from someone who is curious into someone who's like, I really need to learn a lot more about this guy. I guess you could say that Al sort of did that in a sense with the vanity tours where he said, I'm not playing any of the hits. I'm playing all original songs. And, you know, of course to, to fans like the three of us we're thrilled to get to hear, you know, some of these songs that we may not get to hear on a normal tour, but then also added to that is the, the straight cover each night. Was that just, you know, music to your ears for lack of a better cliche when you found out he was doing these straight cover songs at each concert? Oh, it was totally phenomenal um and like i said i i think you guys were probably there too at the i was at the first one at the uh with the bardavan um and was that was smoke on the water was that the first one he did do you guys remember offhand at that not 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 the recent one but the first time he did the vanity tour that sounds right i have to look it up though to, to be confident but anyway but anyway it was the first it was the first whatever it was it was the first time he had done this and so he like starts playing these chords and i'm thinking a Smoke on the Water parody? Like, am I forgetting that from an album? Then, of course, he starts singing the actual lyrics. Um, and I was like, what is happening? And then, of course, within a few, within a week or two, I don't know, from Reddit or something, I saw that he was doing a different one every every show. And yeah, it, it blew me away. It's far deeper into straight covers than he's ever gotten. Yeah. I mean, there's not even, there's no, there's no competition. He's He basically doesn't do 
next to no covers his entire career with a few exceptions. Then all of a sudden in one year, he does, I don't know, 50 new covers or something. <laughs> um, and then, of course, they released them all in Stitcher. And, and thankfully, someone, you know, compiled them all. So I got the mix. And it's just it's just amazing. And of course, and this is true for covers generally. And one of the things I like about them, they're a good window into an artist's influence, influences, what music they love, what they're listening to. I mean, some a few of the ones he did are like, you know, goofy or sort of novelty covers. Right. But a lot of them are clearly like, you know, Talking Heads or something, like Violent Femmes. They're like bands he loves. Mm. You know, he's showing off Diva, whoever. He's showing off these songs and these bands he loves. And it's sort of this amazing window into, you know, the songs he grew up with, the songs he that influence him, the songs he loves in a way that, you know, you don't necessarily get as directly with most people or even with him most of the time. Because even if you get, you know, an interview with Al where he talks, like someone asks, who are your favorite music artists? We'll probably hear the same, you know, handful of bands he says in every interview. So this is sort of a a deeper look at that. That's a, a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah. And I mean, you can't really judge what, you know, who he's listening to or who he loves from the parodies either, because to some degree he's been stuck with what's popular. And, you know, some years he probably likes what's not popular more than other years. You know, it's just he has to sort of right. go with what he thinks right. the, kid, the kids are listening to at the time he's trying to put together an album. So it, it's just I, I just love that, you know, when an artist will sort of do that and you just see these are the songs they know. These are the songs they love. These are the songs they thought of in soundcheck that day. I mean, who knows? But it's just fascinating. Yep, and I was able to confirm for you, Ray, that yes, the very first song on the very first Vanity Tour at the Bardavan Opera House was Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. Wow. Great memory, Ray. <laughs> like, like I said, I paid a lot, I paid a lot of attention uh, to, to, <laughs> to the cover covers. songs. Yep. <laughs> it's impressive. Well, how about the, uh, then the cover that he did at the Flynn for Nobody But Me by the Isley Brothers and the Human Beings? What was your thoughts on that one? So that, this is a, I, it blew me away. And honestly, it's sort of a, a funny, just personal connection. We had, in June 2020, our first kid. Um, so by that show, I guess she would have been, what, two? Um, and... She, we at one point saw a concert, I mean, it was a pandemic, so it was outside something, but it was like a surf rock band and they covered Nobody But Me. Hmm. And she was just learning how to, how to like speak. And so she just kept going, no, 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 no. You know, she couldn't really do the rhythm, but, but she got it. So she's, it was like her favorite song was Nobody But Me. Yes. And this is, I don't know, six months before the show at the Flynn. And then here I am at the Flynn and he's doing this song that we've like, you know, had on repeat on the Alexa because it's the song she always wants to hear. And now Weird Al's covering it. I was like oh, totally wow. blown away. What a I was like, crazy how do, how do know? I know. It, it, it was wild. I was like, this is, this is nuts. That is incredible. <laughs> That's a great story. Well, Ray, it's it's really been a pleasure getting to have you on the podcast finally. Thank you for bringing your expertise in both Bob Dylan and Weird Al to us. We can check out your book, Cover Me, the Stories Behind the Greatest Cover Songs of All Time, featuring the chapter uh, about Weird Al and Polkas on 45, as well as your book, I'm Your Fan, the Songs of Leonard Cohen, which, uh, as we talked about, features a couple paragraphs (laughs) about something related to Weird Al. And then, of course, your brand new book has nothing to do with Weird Al, but sounds like a really interesting book, Pledging My Time, Conversations with Bob Dylan Band Members. And all those are available on Amazon and where books are sold. 
That's right. Well, yeah, no, it's been fun. Uh, people in my real life usually cut me off from talking about Weird Al well before the 45-minute mark, so uh, it's been a treat <laughs> to have an excuse to go a little longer. Once again, Ethan and I would love to thank Ray Paget for joining us on this episode. Be sure to check out his books as well as his website, CoverMeSongs.com. This episode is brought to you in part by Discover Darwin, promoting tourism in Darwin, Minnesota. Not only is historic Darwin, Minnesota uh, uh, beautiful, it's also culinary. It's that time of the year again in Darwin, Minnesota. What time of the year is that exactly, Dave? It's the spookiest holiday of the year in Darwin, Minnesota. You mean Halloween? That was yesterday. No, no, no. This holiday is even spookier. Even spookier than Halloween? That's impossible! Well, every November 1st, residents of Darwin, Minnesota, celebrate National Cook Your Pets Day. Say what? No way that's a real holiday in Darwin, Minnesota. It sure is. It says right here, take this day to cook a delicious meal of your pets. Wait, let me see that. Dave, it's not National Cook Your Pets Day. It's National Cook For Your Pets Day. And it doesn't say take this day to cook a delicious meal of your pets. It says take this day to cook a delicious meal for your pets. Oh boy, well, that changes everything. And why would you pick National Cook For Your Pets Day, Dave, when November 1st is also National Authors Day? And we've literally had an author on this very episode. Well... I like Ray, and I didn't think we should cook him. Visit Darwin, Minnesota on your next sizzling expedition. Discover Darwin, more than just the twine ball. And after you visit Darwin, Minnesota, be sure to attempt to visit discoverdarwin.biz. Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast is brought to you absolutely free thanks to our incredible sponsors, Brito Brito, Wizard Burger, Jackson Scoggins, and Discover Darwin. Our podcast is also supported by everyone else in our Patreon family, with special thanks to our amazing close personal friend level Patreon supporters. Allison, Ajax, Blair, Kev, Ron, Scotto, Gus and Alicia, Zach, Dana B, UH Jeff, Adriana, Jake, Javier, Zeb, Matt, Kenneth, and thanks to Adrian and everyone else in our pretty stinking majestic Patreon family. If you enjoy our festeringly family-friendly Weird Al podcast, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash 2000inch. There are awesome benefits like getting your name read on the podcast, your own private RSS feed, which gives you early access to each and every bonus episode, and the self-satisfaction of doing something important with your otherwise pitiful, meaningless existence. And if you're looking for a reason, now would be a good time to join because you'll be the very first to hear each and every one of our remaining brand new Ridiculously Self-Indulgent bonus episodes the very instant that they drop. And do not forget to check out our official merchandise shop over at shop.2000inch.com. All proceeds from purchases go directly towards supporting our podcast. We love hearing from our listeners and other Weird Al fans, so be sure to join our Facebook community at group.2000inch.com and visit our Discord server for even more riveting Weird Al and Red Rum to Goody related conversations. You can find both of them linked on our website as well as information about past episodes and guests over at 2000inch.com or weirdalpodcast.com. And while you're on that website, make sure you click on Read Dixley Self-Indulgent bonus episodes to follow along with our adventures on tour. 
or black and white and weird all over bonus episodes for our special series where author John Bermuda Schwartz walks us through his first book page by page and picture by picture. Keep up on new episodes, podcast news, and events by following at 2000inch on Facebook, X, and Instagram. And be sure to subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. Not only does subscribing help the podcast, but it may lead to you moderating a discussion with William Shatner. It worked for me! Plus, we also love it when we receive voicemail of your official patent-pending 27-hour-day podcast hotline 347 spatula, as seen in the 2023 Ringo Award-winning graphic novel, The Illustrated Al, The Songs of Weird Al Yankovic. That number is 347-772-8852. Give it a call or a text, and you might even hear your message in a future episode. Thank you once again to our guest, Ray Paget for joining us this episode. Thank you to Aaron Henry, Joe Jaffa, UH Jeff Nussera, I guess, Brad Hebert, the 2018 Weird Al Vanity Tour song tracker, and the 2022 through 2023 Weird Al Vanity Tour song tracker. Thank you to the Grammy Award winning Jim Kimo West for our incredible podcast theme song. And thank you to the Emmy-nominated and five-time Grammy Award winning Weird Al Yankovic, as this podcast probably would not exist without him. And a big thank you to all of you, our loyal listeners, subscribers, Patreon supporters and sponsors, and everyone else who makes our podcast possible. Thank you for choosing Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. And until next time, remember to gill and chill, keep listening to Weird Al, and stay vegan cheesy. Ethan, I absolutely love that you will be moderating a Q&A with Mr. William Shatner. And you know what? Because I'm so proud of you and you're such a good friend, I've taken it upon myself to write all of your questions for you in advance. Uh... Okay, that's uh, it's very nice of you, Dave. Can I hear them? Sure, absolutely. All right, he's a Star Trek fan, right? Is that one of your questions? No, 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 no. Okay, assuming he's a Star Trek fan, there's something I've always, always wanted to know. Make sure you ask him who he likes better, Kirk or Picard. Yeah, I'm not going to ask him that. Well, he went to outer space, right? Well, did he see any slime creatures while he was there? That doesn't even make sense. Oh, and he hosted Stars on Mars. Were there any radioactive hamsters around during filming? Dave, he didn't go to Mars. They filmed that in Australia. Okay, okay, okay. Ask him if he's ever gone bowling on the Starship Enterprise. Dave, have you even seen Star Trek? Yeah, I've seen each Star Trek 80 times. Plus, I'm fluent in JavaScript as well as Klingon. Dave, you're pitiful. And what exactly are you wearing anyway? Your homemade Star Trek uniform really ain't impressing me. It's not homemade. I bought it on eBay. Oh, speaking of which, will you ask him if I can bid on his old toupee? I can't ask him that. I'll give him five bucks. Dave! Okay, okay. You're right. That would be tacky. So instead, can you ask him how many molecules were in Leonard Nimoy's butt? I'm trying to win a radio contest. That was Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 210-inch. And that's why I'm not even welcome at the Star Trek convention. I wish I had, just so I could have sold copies to you two.